Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, where filmmakers become entrepreneurs. With my dad, he's a dork. Hi there, I'm Scott McMahon, your host for the Film Trooper Podcast, where we try to help independent filmmakers become entrepreneurs. If you want to know more about Film Trooper, go back to the first episode and give it a quick listen. Anyway, today's podcast has been dug up from the archives of an older podcast I did called Hollywood to Portland, which was up on iTunes for a while, but has been removed because it was too controversial. Actually, I just stopped doing the show and the feed just died. But it still has some good content, so in this episode, I interview the cinematographer of the hit IFC show Portlandia. His name is Bryce Fortner. We talk shop for about two hours, so you'll get the first hour in this episode and get the second half in the next episode. We met up in southeast Portland at a place called Dots Cafe. It's a very cool, very hip neighborhood. As you'll hear in all the podcasts of Film Trooper, I interview people at local bars and pubs up here in the Portland, Oregon area. So the sound quality might be a little different than what you normally hear in other podcasts. You'll even hear us eating and drinking and ordering more drinks from the wait staff. So, you know, there you go. Before we get started, a little house cleaning in terms of paying the bills. I made a feature film. I made it for $500, and I had no crew. That's right, no crew. It's called The Cube. It's a supernatural suspense movie, and you can learn more about it at thecubemovie.com. So please check it out. Let me know what you think, and be kind, because if you do, I will pay you back in hugs. Lots and lots of hugs. Okay, enough about me. Let's get on to it. Here's cinematographer Bryce Fortner on the Film Trooper podcast. So, thanks, thanks for having me. This yeah. Is, this is a new thing for me. Well, it's funny. We did the, I've done the first episode four times. Because, okay, the first two times, the first two times I was by myself in my studio, my little office, and it just kind of sucked. I was by myself, and I, even though I had like an outline of what I wanted to talk about, yeah. the way it came out, it didn't, it didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to, because I would be bored sure. if I was somebody who stumbled across sure. my website. Oh, well, that's cool. I mean, you have to go through that to... Right. Yeah. So then... Um, Is it okay if I eat, by the way? Please go yeah. ahead, because I'll do most of the talking to get it up and running. Cool. The third one, I, I have a friend, um, an old friend from high school that I bumped into at the, my reunion. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen her in 20 years. Right. And we're talking, and, and I said, oh, you know, I'm moving to, to, to Portland, or in Oregon. I gotta go, I'm going to move up to this place called um, you know, Lake Oswego, mm-hmm. which is not... We're outside of Portland. For all those people that live in Portland, they're like, oh, you don't live in Portland. <laughs> totally. But anyway, that's what I discovered Fine, since we yeah. lived up here. I didn't know any difference. Yeah. So I figured I was 10 minutes from Portland. That meant I lived in Portland. <laughs> yeah, people here are really particular about They it. really are. Yeah, so that's funny. what I learned about that. Yeah, funny. <laughs> so she's like, you got to be kidding me. That's where I live. So huh. we were going to uh, follow up with each other. And um, so when we moved up here, um, we moved up here about a little over seven months ago now. You know, it took us a while to kind of get everything squared away. But um, her husband, we even have you know had a few dinners, and he's a goofball, and, <laughs> and we've had a really great time. He he kind of reminds me, um, my friend uh, Frederick. He reminds me of like Tosh from Tosh mm-hmm. 2.0. Yeah, he's totally nutball. Which I've I've still gotten into that show lately. I, I don't know why. Like first couple times I watched it, it didn't hit, but lately I can't. But, yeah, I exactly. Can't stop watching it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, yeah. But he's. Uh, so I thought it'd be more fun if I had like the, started the podcast with him, mm-hmm. and if I had just more banter back sure. and forth. And there's a local pub down in Lake downtown Lake Oswego called Mars. It's an Irish pub. Okay. It's kind of cool. I guess they had opened at one time in a small place, and they closed down, and they reopened in this hmm. cool little home right next to the fire station. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I've heard and about this place. Yeah. So they have. So you kind of walk in. It's kind of small, but then you go downstairs. It's like a basement where they have the pool table. So Monday nights we've been. You know, we went twice because the first time we went, one of my c- mic cables wasn't working. So yeah. I just used the onboard yeah. mic from these. And I it was just too noisy. Sure. We didn't like it. And plus, it just kind of gave us a chance to get through it once. Sure. Just kind of like So nice, yeah. just this past week, we finally went through our first one. And we're like, oh, okay, finally. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, so now I, I have to still get it um, uploaded onto iTunes and everything like that. Okay. So I thought, you know what? I might as well just start. Keep going. Yeah. Just keep going. Keep getting more and more and more. So I wanted to make sure I got a, um, you know, an interview with before you, everything gets busy in the summer, yep. like we talked about. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing was that um, I'll be going away on, you know, this for a little family vacation up to my father-in-law's house right. up in North Idaho for the Memorial Day weekend. And who's coming with us are some new friends that we've met here. Nice. He, um, he's the screenwriter, oh, uh, okay. my screenwriter friend, yeah, Randall. Right, yeah. Yeah. right. Yeah. So he wrote 
Mask Zorro yeah. and The Doors. And That's so cool. I'm going to bring this up with me. And as we're drinking liquor or whatever we're doing um, up there while the Do kids are playing one. around yeah. on the on the on the yeah yeah that'd, outside. that'd be cool to get a writer's perspective on 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 the city because you know for, for me you'll, you'll get a definitely right. kind of production centered you know, yeah so i'm curious to hear kind of what a writer's right yeah it's, it's it'd be really cool yeah. Yeah. so anyway so that's what my plan is so the, this like i said the whole this whole podcast is really just you know we talk about stuff like um just Por- oregon in general portland or just mm-hmm. oregon just uh, the northwest right. just just little things that are different than what down in Southern California because I grew up in Southern California like Southern California my whole life I worked in LA for a little bit but mm-hmm. mostly just grew up in San Diego sure. so I mean I you know I, I wasn't born there but my gosh I pretty much you know yeah, I landed there when I was so young sure. and we never left how old were you when you I was like there? before five four or five. Oh yeah so that's yeah yeah so you know you're and then you know went to college there and everything so yeah. and in traveling up to you know LA to do work and you meet so many people and you just have places to crash and yeah. you do yeah. your thing yep. but the same culture is sort of it's it's similar it's a similar culture sure and then you go um, up here and it's just definitely you know you know I don't say similar it's just different mm-hmm. you know people are people yeah but uh, my wife just loves it up here and that's why she wants to be up here that's and cool. um, um, obviously got a good job offer and my job at the time I was able just to do you know the same thing online because right. uh, you know I'm working this uh, job right now for Speedo. Mm-hmm. I I haven't met the clients. Huh. I'm just talking to them emails. Awesome. You know we're yeah. sending stuff through Dropbox and to FTP, right. and I'm just back and forth. And um, I mean we I mean we could if you wanted to have like a, a Skype or an iChat sure. session, but we don't even do it. Yeah. So like more than half the jobs I've gotten lately have just I've never met the people. I've just <laughs> everything's been online. Yeah, it's funny. I mean I I haven't had quite the same. Uh, experience. I mean, I've, I've had a similar experience. I haven't had that much work where I don't have to interface with people, but it's becoming so much easier now to, for me to be based in Portland and take a job in LA or in New York. You know, and most of the time I've done a couple projects. I did a commercial in New York recently, short film in New York, and then I did a, a pilot for Comedy Central down in LA. And for all of them, for pre-production, I we just met over Skype and email. You know, and it's 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 great. It's really it's it's kind of a cool it's kind of a cool time because honestly, being out of LA is pretty great right now it's nice how many years were you in uh, los angeles before you came up well i went to um i went to la for school i, I grew up um we drowned a lot when i was a kid but i grew up mostly in uh, bakersfield california which is like two two hours south of la and um i went to college there and graduated oh three so i guess i probably lived there about nine nine and a half years nine nine and a half years okay um so i, I definitely got a good sense for what la was about and um it's not a bad city, but I don't know. What, what made you, um, when did you know that you wanted to come up here? Well, it was, uh, I shot a couple short films, or actually I had, was uh, a gaffer on one short, and then I was the director of photography on a second one up here. They were both shot in Portland. You were living in Los Angeles but at the time, so. Living in L.A. at the time, and I'd come up here, and, you know, it was, um, I just, I, I developed this major crush on the city. You know, it was, you know, someone who grew, like, I, I grew up in the desert, so for me to come into a place that rains frequently was, was awesome. But it's also just, it's beautiful, and the people were trees. really friendly. A ton of trees. I mean, it, it was so peaceful. And so, like, I had this crush, and I always imagined, oh, someday when I when I make it, you know, we'll, like, my wife and I will, will, will live in Portland. And then um, my wife, Christy, she, she got the, this job offer up here for a company called Rentrack. And um, we figured, why the hell not? You know, there was nothing that was really keeping us in L.A. And I don't know, it's a two-hour flight to L.A. So, you know, we, we honestly figured that even though we lived in Portland, I'd still be working in L.A. all the time. I heard that it's funny. Wasn't that when you guys first moved up here, all of a sudden you were, like, on a job at either New York or L.A.? You were gone. Like, yeah, I was. Like yeah, you were getting more work while you were up here in yeah, L.A. It was, than it, was, it was weird. Yeah, it was, it was in L.A. and New York. It was kind of bad timing because it was actually our first anniversary, and I, <laughs> I, was, I was in New York shooting a short film. And I, I'll never forget, it was like our anniversary night, and I was like sitting on, <laughs> I had this really crappy, dingy basement apartment in, in Brooklyn, and I was like Skyping with her, and it was such a kind of a sad <laughs> moment. But it, but it was weird, it was like moving up here suddenly it made me busy, and um, <laughs> you know, when, when, we, when we moved up here, I didn't, I didn't really know anybody. Um, so I reached out to a handful of production companies, mm-hmm. and um, just through email, and just kind of sent them a link to my site. And most of them, most of them, none of them got back to me except for one, actually. And the one that got back to me, um, I just really clicked with the guy who owned the company. Uh, the company's called uh, Bent, Bent Image Lab. Oh, yeah. 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 So th- they do a lot of the stop motion. They do a lot of stop motion, animation. exactly. And I'd never done stop motion, really. Um, but I, I kind of realized that since really only one company 
I only really knew one company here. In order to stay busy, I kind of had to embrace it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I don't know. It's it's it's. Um, I don't see myself doing stop motion for the rest of my life. But it's it's been it's been a fun way to keep busy right now. And it's it's kind of a magical thing where it's one day I'll be shooting on this flying machine in the clouds, and the next day I'll be shooting shooting in the the German forest. You know, and it's so that's been kind of an unexpected um, but fun thing about moving up here that I never would have thought that I would have done. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it's uh, the stuff I've seen is so good, though. It's like you know. Yeah, Ben's Ben's a great company. You know, they're I guess they're still kind of a young company, but they're they're getting a lot of national and uh, international exposure, and they're doing some really cool clients. And um, it's been fun. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget when I did when I did send out my resume. I really thought my, at the time my resume was really, I thought it was big. I thought it was a really good resume. You know. Oh yeah. Then, but I, like looking back, it was such a joke. I had. Oh, I have your. I had some promos resume. for. Was it only like half filled at the time? Yeah, so it was like I had promos for Fuel TV and like. Oh right. That was it. But for me, I was like, oh, I shot stuff that got airtime. That makes me big time. <laughs> and it's funny. And then you get humbled, humbled, humbled along the way repeatedly, and you know it's yeah. You realize your resume's not that big, but yeah, that's good. Um, anyhow, yeah. Sorry, I'm kind of a tangent. No, 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 no. It's yeah, good. Yeah. Actually, so here we are. Um, I'll, I'll probably what I'll try to do is I usually will probably put a separate intro. Mm-hmm. So then, like when we cut in here, like I'll fill in all the sure. gaps, like your where your website is, sure. who you are, sort sure. of background, and then we just kind of cut okay. into that. Okay. And then, like you know, talk about the dots and stuff. Sure. Before, you know, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So you went to school. Mm-hmm. Um, what film school did you go to? Uh, I went to uh, Loyola Marymount University. Oh, okay, uh, cool. LMU. Yeah. yeah. In, in Los Angeles, um, in Westchester, I guess specifically. Um, and I actually went there as um. I actually majored in screenwriting, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of it's it's kind of a, yeah it's basically I actually started college as a business major. I just thought that that's kind of I was good at math and I don't know I, I wasn't I didn't see myself as a creatively oriented person oriented person. And I remember in my first semester I took like a statistics class or something, and I was just like, oh my god, I can't imagine doing this crap for the rest of my life. It was this big, and it was just like so boring. And I just it was, and then I you know of course kids in the dorms were film majors, and they're talking about they were going to go watch movies, and it's just like I just basically I just saw myself running numbers and being stuck in an office all the time. Um, so I, I tried to apply to the film film program my second year second semester, um, but as a freshman um, from business. Uh, they, they they didn't accept me because it was such a high high demand like uh, um, major to say the least. So it was super competitive and they, they wouldn't let me get in. So I, I ended up taking the one f- the one of the few classes that I could take as a business major instead of a production class was a screenwriting class. And at the time I thought I think kind of like most people who really get into film for the first time that I'm going to be a writer director because I think that's kind of what's accessible. Mm-hmm. You know I, I didn't you know I'm I'm a cinematographer now but I didn't I don't really know what a cinematographer does and I, I think most people I come across don't either. You know, but you, you know what a writer director is, and so I took a writing class, and you know, I I liked it. I wrote a, I wrote a short script, and um, I applied to film again, and uh, at the end of that semester, and was rejected again. But they said that there was a ton of openings in the screenwriting part department, and I could join that if I wanted to. Um, and so I figured, why not? You know, at least it gets me out of, out of business, and you know, it'll it'll be I don't know a better path. Um, what do your parents think? <laughs> they were they were okay with it. I mean, I guess it's yeah. It seems it sounds like I was pretty flighty, you know, going into college. But it's um, you know, they, they weren't I guess involved in all the minutia of the decision. But you know, they were they were super supportive the whole time. You know, like I, I've since talked to them, you know, afterwards, and I think as I was going through all that, they were they were fine. But I know as I was getting close to graduation, they're like, "What the hell is our son going to do with a screenwriting degree?" You know, like, what do we just spend all this money <laughs> money on? But you know, they were never outwardly to me. They were never anything but supportive. So that was. And I'm really thankful for that because it allowed me to kind of pursue things on my own on my own time. You know, like I said, I found out writing wasn't for me, but I was able to I met with a professor who taught cinematography. because I thought that was something that was interesting. And she let me in as a screenwriter and they weren't supposed to live like she wasn't supposed to do that. But she did. And I got hooked. I mean, I absolutely got hooked. I didn't know shit about photography um, going into that class, but. There's just something about I, I kind of kept realizing that all I really cared about when I watched films was the visuals, and it was like as a director I needed to care about more than that. And but as a cinematographer, I, I guess I really didn't. I mean, I've, I mean I've since learned that I, I need to, you know, character and story are much more important than than what I contribute to a film. I feel like, but at the time it was, I don't know, it was limitless. You know, it was it was really it was exciting. And so since then I've stayed a screenwriting major, but I, I kept taking cinematography classes. I ended up getting into advanced cinematography, and I TA'd for cinematography classes, and I was just, I immersed myself in it as much as I could. And then it being a really, 
a big blessing because if I had been a film major, you have to make two films. One is a small film, and then I think it was non-sync sound, and then there was a sync sound project. And that would most people were spending easily five to ten thousand dollars per per film project. Oh my gosh, I remember you know? film school. People were dishing out forty thousand. Yeah, well, yeah, easy, easy. That's yeah. just for their film, let yeah. alone the tuition and everything else that goes into it. And it's just and it's funny because like w- w- when, you, when you're in it and when you're in film school, that makes sense. And you just feel like, yeah, I'm going to make this forty thousand dollar film, and people are going to notice it, and that's that's what I need to do. And they, looking you know, back, there's, I'm like, there's oh. like this, yeah, there's this, what do they call that, low hang or that that brass ring that everybody's right. trying to go for? Because right. you always hear about those stories. What every Absolutely. year or every generation has one or two films that are like that small film that made it right and then everybody hangs on to that absolutely but if you look yeah. at the numbers being used to be right. you know initially a business major right <laughs> was yeah. that the numbers show like all the thousands upon thousands of films and mm-hmm. um that don't make it no, and it, it's funny because like film school breeds this mentality and it encourages it and and, and, it, and it, it celebrates those those individuals that have that success and so it, it's like you kind of get bred in film school that it's like you're going to have that success, and if you don't, then you're kind of kind of a failure, you know. And that's that, that's been kind of an interesting thing for me to kind of learn and, and kind of deal with is, and as well as a lot of my my film film major, you know, compatriots at the time, it was uh, it's kind of an all or nothing mentality you graduate with, and then you suddenly realize it's not really that's a, that's a big <laughs> exception. You know, you know I, I I always always tell people that that it sort of reminds me of like the the gold rush, the thing that you know boomed. This was just this belief that I can find that nugget of gold mm-hmm. when I come out to California. And then what we find out later, business-wise, is that the, the people that made all their money were the people selling the picks and the shovels and sure, the tents, sure. so the, the, the people that were supplying the dream. Mm-hmm. And so when you go to, like, Hollywood or, you know, there's constantly, there's a whole sub-industry of people joining this workshop of the screenwriting's sure. workshop or sure. this, you know, fil- mi- filmmaking in two days mm-hmm. or there's the filmmaking school for one week or, and then right. the, the education itself. It's funny about college, though, because um, um, right before we moved, moved up here, I was, like, this close to taking a job at the L.A. Film School, hmm. you know, um, yeah. uh, working in the, the newly started uh, video game division they were starting. Okay. That's right, because you right. used to work for Sony, right? I worked at, yeah, yeah. I used to work for the PlayStation for yeah. uh, 10 years, making yeah. movies for them. So uh, an old colleague of mine was starting up that division. Mm-hmm. But I had another friend who works over at Full Sail over in um, mm-hmm. um, Florida. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that there's once you get on the other side of the educational world, uh, there is this thing like it's almost like a racket because um, a friend of mine was saying that you know you know in the production stuff like the school had all this amazing production mm-hmm. stuff, but you know where are we sending these kids? You know right. they're pay- they're paying all this money for tuition and stuff like that, but the reality is where are we sending them? Right. Because everybody could pretty much make you know, movies or music sure, on sure. your laptop now. Sure. And uh, you don't necessarily need these big, you know, studios uh, per I, se. I, I wish, like, when I'd gone to school that I'd had just a, a class on learning how to freelance. Honestly, I mean, that, that, that has been such a struggle, like, learning how to emotionally and mentally deal with it. You know, it, it's great. You know, it's like, you know, my, my wife works a full-time job, and, you know, she gets up Monday morning at 7, she has to go to work, and she comes home at 7, and she's exhausted. It's a long day for her. And, you know, and she sees me, I get to kind of sleep in a little bit. But it, <laughs> it, it, sounds, it sounds like, at that in theory, that sounds awesome, but it's like when you're freelancing, it's you hate every second of it. At least I, I personally, I hate every second of it. And it's like I have, like, a week off, and I can't get that word failure out of the back of my mind, you know, and it's like I just can't. It's so hard for me to enjoy it because I think I was talking with somebody the other day and they put it like every day that you have off is a day that you're not working and is a day that you're not making money. And right. A day right. that you're kind of falling behind, you know, and so it's so hard to just be like, oh, I'm sleeping in on this Monday morning. You know, it's just like, shit, I need I'm not working. You know, this is really I, I, anyway, I would have loved to have graduated with a little more preparedness or it's having funny an idea. It's funny you said that because, you know, I, I went to film school like well over 20 years ago and, um, you know, and. The, I was an undergrad, and I, w- I stopped really kind of going to all my undergrad classes because I was, I was helping out this uh, graduate film student with her thesis because she had all the access to the equipment. Because mm-hmm. like, they wouldn't let any of the undergrads. I was part of the UC system, sure. the uh, um, University of California system. Right. So they had this whole racket where, as an undergrad, you weren't really allowed to like, use the equipment. So did you go to SC? I went to UCSD. Okay. I, I was okay. about to go to UCLA, or not, but you know, I decided that... It's local. Yeah. I got in. Um, I thought I was. Gonna, I thought I because it was smaller. I was going to get more access to the equipment. Right. 
and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that wasn't. I really should have gone to my a state school. Mm. I think after in hindsight, the state schools are much more vocational, more hands on. Sure. Um, but so I had ended up just like kind of skipping class and just being with uh, this this um, graduate film student. I became like you know I was her apprentice, and she I helped her with her film. So it's like great to you know cut on the Steinbecks, the steam whatever the Steinbecks, how yeah. we pronounce those. Yeah. But learning how to, to, to log, um, all that stuff. I did that, and she was, like I said, spent forty forty five thousand on her film. And I was watching this film going, you know, hmm. Like, it's, you know, it was interesting, but it was sure. still a student film. Sure. And it was just like, it was too, it was almost painful going, oh, my gosh, you spent that much on this film? Right. You know, because just at that time, uh, I, this is, this dates me, but this is when uh, Robert Rodriguez's El Mariachi had just come okay. out. Sure. So how much did he spend on that? Was it like well, the, the, the legend is 7000 That's probably much how he did, but, you yeah. know, once it got to the studio hands, they remixed it, you sure. know, they recut. They just got sure. it. They got it in shape for, sure. you know, theatrical for release. release. Yeah. But um, that was the big breakthrough, That's you know. Right. But she was saying the same thing, what you were saying. She said that, she goes, you know what, I wish in film school they would teach a class on how to hustle. Yeah. How to hustle work. Yeah. How to be a freelancer. How to hustle work. Right. It, no, totally. It's, and, and it's funny too, because you know, like I was saying earlier, it's like when you're in the bubble of film school, spending forty to fifty thousand dollars on a film, for some reason, seems okay. And then you know, it's like you know, I've, I graduated no three, so that was almost ten years ago. And I look back and I'm like, you know, that that no, no, the the, the school, there's no way they should have put like a five thousand dollar cap if that, you know, and we should have had freelancing classes, and they should have been. I feel. Kind of, and I feel like this is kind of the reality of every film school. So I feel like a little misled. I feel like you know they, they glom on to those success stories, and you know, and I think everybody who's in film school feels like when they graduate, I'm going to be that person. I'm I'm going to I'm going to you know break mm-hmm. through, and then suddenly you graduate. And there's thank you, thank you, thanks, thanks. thanks. Then there's that reality where like wow, I was personally again personally for me it was I was so unprepared for what it meant. You know, I, w- I worked a lot as a cinematographer in school. I shot like 20 or 30 projects. I was like, all right, I got this thing covered. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna roll into it and I'm going to be working as a cinematographer. But just the reality of the industry and the reality of how little I knew and how few people I knew was, uh, uh, I don't know, astounding to me. <laughs> you know, it yeah. was so overwhelming. Yeah. It's interesting that um, I remember listening to a podcast interview with, um, you have to help me here because... Mm-hmm. The uh, cinematographer DP for Half Nelson. Oh yeah, I I forget his name, but he actually shot. Um, you know what you do? He to do you justice. Hold on, let me just look it up. We can actually pause this thing yeah. later and. Yeah, because he actually. I could do IMDb here. He Hold just on. shot Blue Valentine too, which is. Oh, another Ryan little, Gosling film. Another okay. Ryan Gosling film, but I actually really like that film. Most people, I think, hate it, but I was really into it. Right. But anyhow, yeah. No, it's like mm-hmm. what I've saw in the reviews and the stuff like that, but just mm-hmm. like. It, like you said, it was pretty intense. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to mess up this name, but it's um, Andrij Parif. Here. Parif? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, how, I just looked him up the other day. Yeah. How do you, how do you pronounce that? Andrij Parik. I, yeah, I don't know. Um, hey, I, I don't know. We're sorry for I'm butchering sorry. your name. Yeah. The, the fact that all one of you are actually listening to this yeah, podcast. Yeah. But anyway, the um, Watch it who knows? him, too. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Especially if I sorry. put his name into like the, the blog yeah, thing because right. you know, it'll pop up. Right. But anyway, he, it was a great interview with him because he was talking about um, Half Nelson, mm-hmm. um, how it was in NYF film school, NYU, and how uh, you know he, he realized that if he was shooting... He was always working on films where he saw the writer-director track. Right. It was like they only had one or two, and they were spending all the money. But him being a, a, a DP, he was able to work on so many people's right. uh, projects. So that's how he sort of got the gig to, to do Half Nelson. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that goes on. He got, Was it at the Sundance he got the award for cinematography? or sure. He Not got sure. some award or some noted, uh, recognition from it. It's a, it's a great-looking film, and... Yeah, it's, it's definitely yeah. unique. He yeah. talked about how, you know, working with um, Ryan Gosling, how mm-hmm. he would just sort of roam and do his 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 bit, his you know, his work. Sure. So because of the limited time and, the, and, and budget and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, he his philosophy went into just lighting the space. Sure. So he lit the space and then just sort of tracked Ryan yeah. um, at wherever he went. Sure. As opposed to setting up per shot. Sure. Um, you know, which kind of gave you that sort of very, very realistic yeah. feel and look. Which is cool, which is, I, I feel like a lot of cinematography now is, is kind of going, excuse me, is, uh, is kind of going to that place. And I, I'm, I mean, I guess it's because of technology is, is, is improving and 
adjusting so quickly. I'm not sure, but it's just like it. it, it for the first time in a long time, you can really shoot on film stock, or you can shoot on digital, and you can light a space, and as opposed to like light a shot and not sweat the details of underexposure or overexposure, you know. And it's, um, you know, I remember that that was kind of a big lesson for me as a cinematographer. I don't know if this makes sense as far as the story goes, but it was uh, was to learn that really it's like end of the day, my con- contribution to a film isn't what people recognize. I mean, I, it's not to say that I what I don't do isn't, isn't important, but it's not what people recognize. It's really about what's on screen and that performance that actor does. And so it's really my job, aside from making sure the director gets his vision, is to make sure the actor feels comfortable and can roam, like you said, like with Ryan Gosling, you know? And so it's that's something that I've, yeah, you know, trying to do more and more of is lighting a space versus lighting a shot because it's, I don't well, know, it's, it's interesting because I, I just feel like a lot of films are kind of, smaller films are, kind of gearing going towards that direction it's right. been interesting to see well let's talk yeah. about the good stuff like sure, um, sure. The, let's just talk about your projects because um well now we know how you got up here mm-hmm. you know you did a few uh, short films and some right. projects and just fell in love with mm-hmm. uh with the city right um like you said coming from bakersfield which mm-hmm. is very much like a desert uh-huh. desolate desolate de- desert very hot yep. and dry and as nothing to do at night <laughs> yes yeah. and then coming to portland mm-hmm. um um which is like it feels like this very mellow kind of small city, mm-hmm. but very hip, and it's all surrounded by this intertwined with this river sure. and all these bridges, sure. and um, yes, there's just and it's, there's so many trees yeah. around it's, us. It's, so. it's a weird city. It's you know if, if if nothing else, I feel like Portland is a city that really it, it encourages a balance more so than, than I found in LA. I, I felt like in, I felt like in LA. Everybody who I met was involved in the industry. They were an actor. Oh, yes. They were a writer. They were an assistant. They were right. you know and that and that. I mean, that's awesome, but it's I, 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 it gets old meeting. It's like you don't meet anybody new. It's just like you're always meeting the same versions, right. of the Same person, and everybody has something going on. And yeah, exactly. And then, and then it, it also always kind of became a competition. You know, it's just right. like you meet somebody new. It's like, oh, what are you working on? Oh, what are you working on? You know, and it was just kind of like, if you know. can survive that, and LA is definitely. I was mentioning this before too. Like LA is a town where um, it's kind of expected. Like when you meet somebody, you quickly have to go through your resume bits, right? Because either the two things you have to figure out: can you do something for me, mm-hmm. or can I do something for you? Sure. And it's like, and then it's it's just this, um, which is why when I meet uh, a lot of my actor friends, mm-hmm. they say it's very very difficult to date in that town because it's almost ex- accepted that everybody's self-serving or self-centered. Sure. But it's not in like a mean way; it's just simply yeah, it's, it's these just young actors and stuff like that, yeah. right? It's like, look, I can't really commit to this relationship right. until I. Right. You know, take care of myself, right. which yeah, could it's, take it, forever. It's weird. It's like I guess you know when you if you just hear <laughs> those two things we just said, LA sounds awful. But it's I mean it's it's just kind of the reality of LA. You know, yeah. In a lot of ways, for my first like six years of LA, I found that appealing. I thought that was so refreshing. I grew up in the small right. desert community, and suddenly everybody I met was in film. This is so exciting. And then, and then I guess reality sunk in. I don't know. My expectations weren't what they. My expectations didn't match what was happening. I, I don't know. But it was suddenly I kind of. I grew frustrated with uh, with LA, you know, and that's right. And uh, most people do. Some people yeah. do, but others that you know, it's just five in there. You know, it is you know, survival of the fittest. Yeah. You know, no, that's absolutely. But it's it has a beat and it's fast yeah. and it is and that rhythm of the city and you and the great thing about it though is you are just bound very quickly. In I guarantee you, in one day to one week, mm-hmm. you will meet so many people. Right. You could eas- easily meet so many people that have some sort of contact connection. Mm-hmm. Um, some could lead you down a very dark path, wrong path. Sure. <laughs> Others could actually be worthwhile connections, mm-hmm. um, and which is why there's a lot of the prey and you know people that are preyed on, and then no, other people true. that prey. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's just it's just one of those things. It's yeah, just exactly. Kind of there's deal there's with a it. lot of crap you have to sort through in, in LA. Yeah. You know, and it's you know, and I've I found that here actually. It's I, I, I've, I've run across a few people here recently who, who are doing well for themselves in Portland, and they, they, they see it as a limited market. And, and, and I say unfortunately, but they, they, to them, they, they kind of see L.A. as the next logical step, and then suddenly their career is going to make sense because uh, there's so much happening in L.A. And that's, you know, I guess it goes back to the select few. I mean, sure, that's definitely possible, and you're exposed to more things in Los Angeles, but you're exposed to a lot of crap at the same time, too. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a hard city to, to live in. I don't know. But... There are some great people there, mm-hmm. and the thing is, that you I just feel like I'm trashing LA. I'm sorry. I know, no, no, but <laughs> I think it's yeah. generally accepted. People yeah. there understand it, mm-hmm. and um, or those who are deciding, am I moving there or not? Right. It's just simply, there are a lot of great people there, but you you really have to work at it. Right. You kind of have to wade through it, all of it. You, you know, you have to make it your life. You know, yeah. and that's um, 
And that was another thing I realized. It, it, I think it kind of goes back to the balancing I was talking about. To really kind of to keep up in LA and to keep pounding it, you have to make it your life. It's very hard. I mean, I have one friend who's doing extremely well for himself as, as a writer who happens to still maintain a balanced lifestyle, but that's, that, that's an exception. At, mm-hmm. least I, at least I found for me. It's like in order to be working as a DP, I had to be working on, I mean, all the time for no pay. And right. I mean, again, again, don't get me wrong. That's the reality of getting started in the film business, but it was, I don't know, it's... I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's but it's you know coming up here. It's definitely a different. The biggest difference I I realized I was mentioning to my friend Frederick mm-hmm. is that when we um, first moved up here, I can't tell you like down in Southern California, it's with without a doubt within the first couple seconds of meeting somebody, they want to know what you do. Mm-hmm. Up here, that's not like a main question. Sure. When you meet people, there's a lot of it. It's like, oh, where are you from? Oh, so you're not from here. Have mm-hmm. you been? Have you been to Multnomah Falls? Have right. you tried going down this, you know, this river? Have you gone to this yeah. park? You've gone to this club? Have you tried this restaurant? People who it's live in Portland are very proud of Portland, and I think it kind of goes back to what you're saying about right. like us. We go, you know, it's just like yeah, right. it's, it's ten minutes away. Sure, I live in Portland, but people are like, no, Portland. no, Portland is so Portland. proud of Portland, and they they love what the city offers and the amazing food and yeah, Multnomah Falls, and it's funny. Yeah, so it's uh, it, it's but it's really it's almost refreshing because for the longest time, um, you know. I was meeting all these parents, you know, for my because my I'm t- taking care of my daughter at why she goes to school and after after school activities and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> and um, and all the parents I'm meeting, like hardly any of them ever asked me what I do. Hmm. You know, it's, it was so long before they even asked that. Sure. And um, once I found out that I, I could, you know, edit videos and 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 shoot things like that, mm-hmm. um, then all of a sudden the favors start coming in because I just had to sure. edit this last <laughs> video for uh, for my daughter's school, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. so that stuff kind of comes in. Sure. But uh, um, but it is interesting because it's almost refreshing because yeah. everybody's more interested. It, it almost feels as uh, um, people are here to to do other things other mm-hmm. than really just to work. Yeah. Actually, you know, I heard on PBS. A local um, novelist, Chelsea Kane, mm-hmm. and she writes like all these like serial killer novels, you know. And she's like, you know, internationally bestselling. Sure. But she she described it as Portland being a place where um, the overeducated come, you know, to live for the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So they will accept lower paying jobs, jobs that are they are way overqualified for sure. in exchange for the lifestyle. Sure. And she was talking about things like, you know, how how people would just get their REI jackets and mm-hmm. walk into the woods and then disappear <laughs> or go out to the, yeah. the coast yeah. and then, um, you know, get swept away by s- sneaker waves and all that sure. kind of stuff. But yeah. it's, uh, I thought it was interesting. The overqualified come to, yeah. to no, live for that, the lifestyle. That's funny. You know, it's, might as well segue into talking about a show that I worked on, but it's kind of funny you, you mentioned that because, you know, the, the Portlandia, the show the show that I shot, there's that line in the music video they did, like Port- Portland is a city where young people go to retire. And I think that really, it's funny, and I think it's true. There is there is something about this city that that attracts this uh, mass of educated, really artistic, creative people to come here, and then they end up, I guess they find out they can live here for cheap or live here for, like, next to nothing, you know, and, and they thrive. I don't know. It's, it's funny. It's something about Portland that's... And it's, I think it's on the map because of that, too. It's people come here for that reason. <clears throat> yeah, it's um, – definitely feel it in the mm-hmm. city. Yeah. Like, uh, we're here right now. I mean, I've never been to this part of town, but this yeah. is this is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Dots is – this whole part of – like, this whole southeast part of Portland. I mean, I love northeast – I mean, every, every, there's all these pockets that are amazing. But right. It's, yeah, I mean, we're at Clinton in, like, 26th right now, and there's – I mean – It's pretty cool. There's a Hawaiian place next door, a Swedish place across the street. You know, there's a crepes and meats a sandwich place, like, next door. It's It's – uh, I we um, a bit about Portland. Well, let's talk about Portlandia. Sure. I mean, because it's a fun thing. I mean, that was huge. I mean, what that now? Was, that was why don't you, yeah. you tell us the story about how that happened? Where, you know, how you got the job and sure. and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Portlandia. Um, it's uh, I, I I I didn't kind of I, I definitely lucked I, I I have I lucked into that job honestly. Um, it was it started off as a pilot. Obviously, that was I I, I don't know if it was funded by IFC or. I think it might have been funded by Broadway Video, and IFC was aware of it. Anyhow, so we, we shot a pilot, and it's um, the pilot was shooting here in Portland and during the summertime. And summer summer months here in Portland um, are extremely busy. It's commercials come up here because I mean it's it's beautiful, it's green. Car commercials, we'll shoot a lot of car commercials up here. You know, Leverage is a you know TV show that shoots here all the time. So it's just it's, just, it's a busy month. Everybody and does it get dark until what? 
11 yeah, exactly so yeah exactly so i mean it, it's ideal for day for daytime shoots if you're shooting daytime you, you have full sun from like 7 a.m to like 11 p.m it's it's nuts um and so it's just an incredibly busy time and when the pilot came about nobody was available and um you know i i was working at a place called bent image lab which is a really cool company but it's it's a small company and it's kind of a small bubble of people so i i didn't know a lot of people but i got lucky in that i knew somebody who was doing I forget what her title was on the pilot, but she, she was working on it, and she kind of threw my name out to the producer and the director. And, um, again, nobody was available. I had done some additional photography on a web series called uh, Clark and Michael, and I'd shot uh, a couple web episodes for a series called uh, uh, Wainy, Wainy, Wainy Days. Oh, you did Wainy Days? Yeah. yeah really? Yeah. That's like way popular. I mean, it's, it was it's yeah. David Wayne's and yeah, his David whole Wayne. crew. I yeah, mean, exactly. Yeah, it's how it's, many? It's you, a that was series. down in L.A. You did some of that. Exactly. I, I I was the director of photography on two episodes, and I gaffed. I think probably like five total. Oh, cool. Yeah, I did the one. Let's see. There's I did two back to back. It was one was called The Pact, and like David, it starts off. David Wayne is like an eight year old, and he's on the swings with this girl, and he's like, "If we're not married by the time we're thirty, let's let's have sex or something." I don't I forget what it was. And so <laughs> then he he's not married, and he goes goes off, and he. And he finds the girl, and I don't know, it was raunchy and weird. And then, it's David Wayne style, yeah. Yeah, exactly, very <laughs> David Wayne style. And then, like a really cool moment for me was one was directed by an actor named uh, Joe Joe Latrulio, who's an actor. He's he's kind of a character actor. He's been in he was in Paul recently. That's kind of a big break. He was one of the FBI agents alongside Bill Hader. Okay, um, well he's one of the, he's part of their crew, right? He's part of their crew exactly. He was in Superbad. He's part of the state. They're exactly, all from the state. Exactly, he's part so, of the state. Exactly, right. and Wet Hot and all that stuff. So yeah, he he goes back. So that was really cool for me to get to work with this actor who's directing and. Um, so that was very really cool. And so because they, because nobody was available and because I was familiar with the comedy process of, you know, a lot of times with comedy, especially with webisodes, you want to shoot with, you want to shoot with multiple cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, shooting with multiple cameras is not exactly a cinematographer's friend. Cinematographers <laughs> like to shoot with, with one camera. I try to make that angle look as good as possible because, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's what you're getting paid for is to make it look good. But we have to realize when you're working on a comedy show, no one really cares how it looks. It's more about the comedy. I mean, if it looks good, that's, that's an obvious bonus, you know. Like a movie like Hangover, I think, is, is a comedy. It's all about the comedy, but I think it's an amazing-looking film, too. I think that cinematographer did a great job. The, the trailers for the new one look, look yeah. good, too. Yeah, I mean, really the cinematography for that as yeah, well. Absolutely. Yeah, he's he, he's actually done a lot of comedy. It's kind of... I, I admire that guy's career. I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now, but it's... um. Wait, we can find out. Yes. Let's pause. Yes. Lawrence Sure. That's what it is. It's Lawrence Sure. Oh, never mind. Yeah. We haven't do it. You knew it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... Yeah, his, uh, his career is awesome. He... he I think he was working as an assistant for years, I think I read, and then he got an opportunity to shoot a film called Kissing Jessica Stein. Um, and he made, like, Peanuts, I think he said in an interview. and like, But it was a big opportunity for him. You know, got into festivals, people knew what that film was, and he wasn't suddenly on the radar, but it was like people, he had cachet to his name. And then he he attached he was attached on Garden State, which is another film, which oh, was not, right, not right. epic, but it was, it was a film that looks Did, good and people were aware of it. They had a know? lot of, yeah, a lot of traction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then... I'm blanking on what happened in between there and Hangover, but he did a lot of comedic stuff. He did like I Love You, Man, and he did you know Hangover, and um, again, it's those films are really about the comedy, but they also happen to look really good. And I think that's mm-hmm. why he. Oh, he also shot Dan in Real Life, which I think is actually a really nice, nice oh, cool. looking film, and it's it's kind of a sweet little film. Yeah. Um, anyhow, I don't. Remember so we were, we're talking about um, how you got the job. Yeah. So it was like you said, yeah. you lucked out. As I understood, it was mm-hmm. that it was the summer. Yep. It was booked um, yep. because the people you worked at with at Bent. There was your name kind of got thrown into the hat. Mm-hmm. You got a call or an email. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I, I, I got a, I got a call from the producer David Cress, who does a lot of work for Gus Van Sant here in town, and really good producer, really cool guy. And so I sat down for an interview with him and the director, and I, I guess they liked me. An hour later, they called me and offered me the you know the job for the pilot. Um, and it was cool, you know. I mean, it was it was for IFC. I'd never done a, a pilot outside of a web series, so that was it was a big opportunity. Were you nervous? I was nervous. Yeah, I was nervous. Okay. I mean, it had Fred Armisen in it, Carrie Brownstein, uh, Kyle MacLachlan. It was like, so it was like the like a, name actors, like some. Okay, because you're like, okay, I hear him in Portland. I've been working with Ben for a long time. A great mm-hmm. company, yep. but just wow, this is an opportunity to work with. Absolutely, you know, yeah, s- no. some you know nationally known actors. And yeah, exactly, and and it's for you know a network that I've heard of, not IFC compared to NBC. You know, it's like the, the number, the viewers that they have for that are obviously much smaller, right. but it's still it's. Yeah, it's just I, I think I think anytime I do something new, you know, like that. I mean, I still remember when I first when I shot my first promo for Fuel TV. I was terrified, and looking back on it, it was like one person standing still in front of a white wall, and it's like that's so easy, you know. Looking back, it was like, why was I so nervous? But anyhow, so I was definitely nervous for the pilot, um, but the director was awesome, and it went went really well. It was really fun. We shot it in I think five days, so it was it was a quick quick schedule. Um, 
but uh, yeah, it went And then great. when did you get a call back that says, we're on? We're on. Um, I want to say it was like a month later. So, you know, like after I'd done the pilot, I, I went back to Bent. I was doing some commercials there. I don't remember what I was working on. And then, um, and I think they kind of knew from the start, too, that it was going to become a series. I think IFC really admired Fred, and they admired the, the web series that he and Carrie had done called Thunder Ant, which was kind of the precursor to Portlandia. Okay. That's actually what the pilot was called at the time was Thunder Ant. Right, Portlandia, right. Portlandia, just they, they kind of realized that it's had a catchier name. Yeah. Um, I heard some podcasts with them. They're talking yeah. about it. Right, right. Yeah, and it just ended up being a catchier name, and it ended up being like, well, let's make it about the city, too, that, that we love, you know, and... Um, and it's yeah. it's yeah. great and insane. And yeah. the good news is it got it picked up for a second season. Exactly. So yeah, and, and, and second season starts shooting um what is there now? It's towards the end of May, May, May twenty fifth right now. And it's uh yeah, the, the second season starts shooting at this point it's middle of July and it's gonna go through the end of September. So it'll be two and a half months of, of shooting, which is a big improvement over the first season. First season after we shot the pilot, we had five episodes to shoot uh in nineteen days. And we had almost 70 locations that we had to shoot in 19 days. So the, the pace was, was insane. Oh, man. It's, um, I'll make sure I put up a link to everybody. To, yeah. to, you know, I'm sure they'll find it, but we'll make sure that they have access to, yeah. to checking it out if everybody hasn't seen it yet. But uh, oh, so, it's so good. Yeah. Not, I mean, oh. the, the show is so good, but also it's, I love your style. I love Thanks, your man. cinematography you. style. Thanks. And, like, the, the choices. And, um, it, it was a hard show to, to, do my, to, to do my job on again because you know, going into it, I have to realize – and I have to be okay with the fact that it's it's not about me going into this job. You know, I'm doing right. my job, but it's there to make sure the director gets what he wants and the actors can be funny, without me being like, oh, you didn't, you missed your mark, or oh, you fell out the light, or you know, like that kind of thing. So it was really hard. We we're shooting with a minimum of three cameras all the time too. So it was it was a tough. What about tough job? Now, normally, you know, a DP or cinematographer has the ability to kind of pick their their gaffer, sure. to pick their you know sort of their their can can you know in the. And the uh, sort of the bigger style stuff, the DP was just the DP, and right. they actually had a camera operator and sure. the first assistant sure. camera and all that sure. kind of stuff. And, and, and on the big stuff, that still still happens, right? right. Yeah. So let me ask you um, for this show. I mean, how did you? Were you just hired, and then did or they asked you any input of getting other crew? Or they, they asked me my input, and I, I brought in some people who I'd worked with. Again, my my exposure to the town was pretty limited. You know, right. When, when I when I did the pilot, so you know, I knew a couple people who were really hardworking guys. Um, uh, I shouldn't say this. It didn't really work out <laughs> really well with with them. It was a personality thing. Oh, that um, happens. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, and anyhow, so like when it came time to do the series, you know, I had to look elsewhere for people, and I didn't know a lot of people, so I, I was taking a lot of recommendations from the producer, um, and just kind of going off rec- um, word of mouth in the city. How do you like to work with your gaffer? Like, and everybody, <laughs> for those newbies who don't know what a gaffer is, right. it's sort of the lead lighting sort of director. I mean, they take your the the director of photography or the cinematographer. Is not only setting up the shots, not only um, you know lighting the scene, and, and making sure that it's it looks you know the, what it's supposed to look like, mm-hmm. um, but they have to trust their gaffer, who is sort of the lead light mm-hmm. technician, to yeah. execute that vision. Yeah, if that's correct. So, what? How do you? How do you like to work with your gaffer? Uh, yeah, it's a gaffer is such a such a crucial role, and it's such a hard role too because a gaffer is is like two steps away from being a cinematographer in terms of they have a lot of responsibility in terms of determining which which lights you use where they go how soft it should be how hard it should be um so it's really hard to find somebody who 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 enjoys that position and isn't looking for more and isn't questioning you along the way and um and i happen to i I found a really good graphic really great gaffer here in portland whose name is Ephraim peter and um you know he'd, he'd done a lot of smaller independent features before portlandia um, but he was my age, you know. He, I think he was 28 at the time that we shot the shot the the first first season, and um, but it's it's so nice to to not have to be the guy with the answers all the times. Like a lot of times, I just there's there's a scene that you're that we're shooting, and we we've, we've kind of built in a look for the show, which helps make decisions sometimes. But it's like, look, I I don't know how to light this. We just shot three <clears throat> three locations. We're under a fourth location, and I'm creatively fried. Let's let's talk about how we can do this. So having a gaffer who knows. Who knows the look of the show and knows his lamps is, is vital. It takes so much pressure off of me. And um, how much access do you have? This is a fun part for me because I can yeah. get geeky about uh-huh. the um, the technical production stuff. Do you have a full access to a full set of uh, lights of anything you kind of wanted? Or? I, I mean, you know, yes and no. If you know, it's 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 a, it's a legitimate you know legitimate project. So if if I had needed certain lights, the the production would have gotten those lights for me. But at the end of the day. 
we didn't have access to the kind of stuff that <clears throat> we really wanted to make the show look as good as it could. Because the fact we're shooting three to four locations a day means that we can't run our lights off a generator because every light they run off a generator. It's like every time you move the generator, you have to re-level it. You have to re, you know, to set the distribution. You have to set a box. It's it's a big hassle, and so all our lights had to be small enough that they could be plugged into a household outlet. Oh, because so it, it was like real true independent then. Really true yeah. independent. I mean, that's why you know someone said it's got kind of a, it's got an independent feel to it, and it's because we were. I mean, the biggest lamps we had, they have to be able to just plug into any wall. So we're limited to everything below 2,000 watts or, or 2K. So it really, that's by <clears throat> big movie standards, that's Whoa. super small. Right now. Well, that, like I said, that's, that's your normal, that's the reality for a lot of you know, yeah. small independent filmmakers, exactly. which is, hey, I've got my Airy light kit. Yeah. i got a, a four light kit here. i got yeah, exactly. 1K, two 650s, and a three. You exactly. Know, and, a and, and you know, we had, uh, you know, we had a bit more than that. You know, we had some right. HMIs, which are daylight, um, right, color right. temperature lights, and we had some Kino flows and stuff like that, but it's... It was it was limited. I mean, yeah, for for independent film production, I would have been so stoked to have that package. But for TV right. and moving at the pace that we, right. we were, it was it was tough because and you know I, I mentioned the multiple cameras again. We weren't a lot of times when you shoot multiple cameras, you're shooting you have like multiple cameras looking in the same direction, so you can kind of capitalize on a lighting setup that you have. But because this is so imp- improvised, we would shoot <clears throat> a wide shot and two cross shooting close-ups at the same time. So. Example for people who have uh, seen the show, there's a, a scene in the restaurant where Fred and Carrie are ordering a, a, a chicken, right. and they want to know if it's organic. And so we, we, we covered that with, with three cameras, and we shot the wide shot, and then we shot Fred's close-up and Carrie's close-up all at the same time. And that's tricky because, A, where the hell do you hide your camera operators? But then how do you hide your lights so they're not seen in the frame? But then how do you make it so that... It, you don't usually light a wide shot and close ups at the same time. You you, oh, you, right. you you light a wide shot so your characters can kind of stand out a little bit mm-hmm. subtly, and then you light a close up so they look really good. And so it's hard to kind of get to a point where you can have lighting that functions for all three of those frames. Right. Um, now you worked on the with the five D, yes. the Canon five D, yeah. yeah, Mark like the Mark the II. Canon Mark II. Yeah. yeah. I always get it because everybody goes refers to it. Yeah, the five D, the Mark II. But, yeah, you know, we call it the D five too. But yeah, five D five D is easier yeah. to, for me to remember. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But when did you start working with, like, with that camera? Uh, it had actually been that summer. It was, I, no, sorry, take that back. It was, I had shot a short film the winter before that down in Los Angeles. Which, what was that called? It was, it was called. Oh, I had to look at your resume again, sorry. Yeah, no, it was called, I'm going to have to look at my own resume here. It was called. Because um, I, I just I was checking out your website before we came, uh, came here, and it was, um, and it's seeing all the new stuff you posted, you yeah. know. So I mean, it, it's more and more. That's kind of the camera that everybody goes to, you know, for for better or for worse. The camera definitely has some uh, amazing pluses, but it's it's got some drawbacks too. But but I, I guess I was fortunate enough that when the pilot came to town, I had shot with the the seven D before, which is the kind oh, of okay. The, you know, seven D and five D. They're differences, the sister, but they're right. yeah, it's the sister of the camera. I don't want to say big or little because it's right. each other pros and cons. What it is amazing because when the five D hit the market um, a couple of years ago, and that. That famous uh, promo film mm-hmm. they did it. Oh know, yeah, yeah, by, by Vincent LaForge or whatever. Right. Yeah. And it, it just rattled the industry. I remember yeah. there's a few things that, in production standpoint, that yeah. changed the industry. I remember when Final Cut Pro came out. Sure. And I mean, because prior to that, I was working at Sony, and we, uh, for editing world, we, you know, we're working on the Avid. We were working mm-hmm. on on Media 100, which is sure. a, a cheaper alternative to Avid, but right. not as you know robust. All of a sudden, this the software comes out, and it was like, I remember seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, like, ah, I see where they're going with this. Right. This is going to be amazing. Right. You know, and then when they made the, you know, the first TV camera, and then they made, um, you know, the, all the iterations of that. And then, you know, for, for a while there, all that fun stuff where they start making the HD, when HD was feasible for, a, like, a prosumer camera. Right. But then everybody started doing all these um, jerry rigs to it where they're making their own um, yeah, 35 was, millimeter adapters. It, and then, it was kind of awful in its own way. I mean, you're getting some great images, but you take this really small little camera that shoots high definition and you end up having to stick this like one foot long lens adapter to make it feel oh. like 35 millimeter. And it was, I, like I had for a while there, I had the uh, the Canon HV20 okay. and, um, and it was a very small camera, mm-hmm. t- shot 1080. Sure. And you, I found I had a, um, a Lettuce or Letus yeah. uh, yeah. Mini. Yeah. And then I had to stick all the Nikon lenses on top of that, yeah. but still, it was very cumbersome getting focused. It it's was funny. Just it's it's I, I, and that's yeah, and it's it's funny to think back on that because it seems so awkward and bulky and cumbersome. But now with the five Ds, it's suddenly again the the five Ds and seven Ds have their limitations. But it's to have a camera that small that shoots 
that quality of, of, of high, li- high HD video is amazing. I have a lot of friends that picked up the um, the new little little sister, the the sixty sixty D, right? Yeah, I just shot an Oregon lottery commercial on that camera, actually. So there you <laughs> yeah. go. You yeah. know? Yeah, I mean it's. Um, yeah. I have a Nikon. It's um, it doesn't you know it, yeah. it's it was like three four hundred dollars I got it for, sure. but because I had Nikon lenses, sure. But honestly, the the quality of the video because it uses motion JPEG as right. opposed to the AC or whatever it is. It's H two six four. Right. Yeah, it's it's not even no comparison. Yeah, I mean that, those cameras. You know, it's I have a friend who works for Canon, and you know he, he kind of told me a story. It's like nobody, especially Canon, expected to have the reception that they did. They they, they basically. You know, the 5Ds were meant for photojournalists. Right. And sometimes photojournalists need to shoot video because they're in a situation. So they're like, oh, and by the way, it happens to shoot video. So it's like, I guess he, he tells the story. It's like they, when they announced the release of it internally, they're like, oh, here's the 5D. You know, it's a, you know, smaller than the 1D. It's, it's professional camera. And it happens to shoot, you know, 1080, 1080i. And then, I see, it got in the, yeah, they got in the hands of Vincent LaFerre. He did that video. And then suddenly everyone's just like... How could they, I was funny because like how could they not know? There was a whole sub industry of like uh, Red Rock, of Lettuce, well, of, especially because um, Canon make, made video cameras at the same time too. I, I'm assuming it's just because it was made by a very photocentric department of Canon, and so they just didn't think it would spill over into that video category. You know, you'd be surpri- yeah, you'd be you surprised know. with the, uh, big corporations like that mm-hmm. that they don't talk to each other. Sure. They're literally yeah. I think yeah. Uh, being at Sony, I saw it firsthand. Sure. Like you know the you know. The division that made the the video cameras mm-hmm. were isolated in their own little world, right. as opposed to making all the, yeah. the cyber no, cameras. I, it, and stuff. it didn't surprise me. I, I, although I do wish the Canon video department would communicate with the 5D people. Th- there's some weird things about the 5D that it's just like kind of common sense. It's like why really it doesn't have that feature. But so that concludes the uh, first half of the interview I did with Bryce Fortner a few years back. And again, just a disclaimer, this format of the show where I just do a general interview is not what the Film Trooper podcast will become. Um, the proper format will probably happen in, in episode eight, so just be on the lookout for that. I'm going to post up a few of the older podcasts that I had done with Hollywood of Portland, um, mainly my interviews with Bryce Fortner and also with a screenwriter, Randall Johnson. So um, yeah, this concludes the first half. Check out the next episode, and you can listen to the second half with Bryce Fortner. Thanks again for listening, everybody.